en hartelike goeiemorgen, welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, die woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na die woord, en Psalm 119, sê, die woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraak laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendik kan worstel nie. Kry dus gauw jou bybel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Our family is just getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to 657 AM. And uh, welcome indeed. Six minutes after 11 o'clock. Almost uh, six after seven. No, it's six minutes after 11 o'clock. It's uh, skrifteerlik. Dis wat jy ingeskakel is. Dis wat ons vir die volgende eer gaan doen. Die woord van die Heere gaan onderzoek. Grawe in die skrifte en soek na antwoorde op vraag wat ek en jy moendlik mee mag sikkel. So ons gaan vir jou WhatsApp nommer gee. Iets sê vir met die pen en papier leen nie, waar jy dit laatst geloos het nie, kreeg jou pen en papier of maak jou contacts op jou cellfoon oop, ek gaan vir jou stadig die nommer gee, en as jy dalke vraag het, ergens het iemand vir ochend iets gesê, of die afgelopen week, of die afgelopen maand, wat jy nie heeltemal duidelijkheid oor het nie, iemand wat gesê het, staan daar nie in die bybel, Ek wist, ek het eendag in so'n gesprek gestaan om een braaifluisvier waar iemand vir my gesê het, die, die, die bybel sê mos, die vloed oor die aarde was nie oor die hele aarde nie. Uh, dit was maar net Mesopotamia, die areas daarboe. Nou ja, interessant nie, dis nie wat die bybel gesê het nie, dis die type van vraag wat is dan hier onderzoek in hierdie program. So, ek het vir jou gevra om jou contacten oop te maak, jou uh, papier en potlik by de rand te kry, hier kom die WhatsApp nommer 082-657-2729 At the helm of this morning's program, Pastor Rocky Stevenson from Benoni Bible Church. Rocky, good morning to you. Wonderful to have you on board again, my brother. Morning, Vainan. So good to be here. Yeah, lucky to have you. And can I ask you, if you're just listening to the program this morning, we have prayed for you. We've asked God to guide us that what we share is Holy Spirit-led, is in fact spiritual from God's Word and not fleshly answers. If you're just listening to this program this morning, can I ask you to just pray for Pastor Rocky and for me that what we present here is the undiluted Word of God that the Spirit of God would lead us, that that God Himself would lay the words of life in our mouths. And I'm asking you to intercede, stand in the gap, and pray for us this morning. Dice, what's up, number 082-657-2729. Rocky, we don't have much time left. Let's kick off with this morning's program. We had a question, I think, from Lynette that asked an explanation on, uh, was it Isaiah? Isaiah 47 that she asked the question. And could you elaborate? Could you explain what Isaiah 47 is all about? Now, uh, uh, when she posted the question, uh, it's quite a lengthy qu- question. It's it's quite a, a big question. We had to go and study. You had to go and study. Burn the midnight oil, so to speak, to find out. What do we answer? And this morning, we do have an answer for her. I think one of the reasons that there's so many questions, especially when we're looking at Old Testament prophecy, is that we 
battle with our understanding regarding a literal interpretation of the scriptures and a figurative interpretation of the scriptures. And here in Isaiah 7, uh, 47, we do see Babylon spoken of once more, and we see God really bringing judgment towards or a prophecy regarding judgment towards Babylon. At this time, Babylon was one of the raising or rising kind of empires at this at this moment in history in Isaiah's day. And he brings this prophecy against them, which doesn't it doesn't seem like it would even come true because they were so prosperous. They were doing so well. It would be like saying, well, tomorrow America will be this backwater place. You would say, no yeah. ways. That's, that doesn't sound right. And that was something of the prophecy that Isaiah brings. But I'll just read the first four verses and then touch on it briefly. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour, uncover your veil, strip off the skirt, uncover the leg, cross the rivers. Your nakedness will be uncovered, your reproach also will be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not spare a man. O our Redeemer, Yahweh of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. You see this judgment coming upon them. Now, there's figurative language that's given regarding Babylon. Now, Babylon's a city that's just north of Baghdad. So, modern-day um, Afghani- Afghanistan, yeah, Afghanistan area. Iraq, and yeah. fascinatingly enough, even in the last week, there was news coming out of Afghanistan regarding a women's march that was um, that, that came about. They were wanting work. They were wanting food. And the... Taliban is now in control of Afghanistan at this as we speak, and there's a sense where there was a near fulfillment for this prophecy regarding Babylon, who had conquered or would come to conquer the southern tribes of Judah in 586 BC, and there was a whole transition of power between the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire that took place within about 140 years before this event, and so God had crushed actually the armies of the Assyrians when they came up against Jerusalem years before. It actually caused them to have a, a bit of a superstition. There, there was around seven, um, 722 BC where the Assyrians came down and they were fighting against Israel, coming against Judah. The people began to have the superstition that they had the temple of the Lord, so therefore they would never be conquered. But later on, Babylon would conquer Jerusalem and take them into captivity. And God would bring this judgment upon Babylon to such a degree that Babylon would, would, we would see what would happen to them regarding this Isaiah 47 idea. They would sit down in the dust. They no longer would have the, they would no longer be the wealthy and the ones that were over. They would be rather the slave and they would be um, pulling up the skirt as it were to cross rivers for their master. They, they would be left in this impoverished environment. And even if you go and do some research on Babylon at the moment, you'll see that the ruins of Babylon are still there. We, there was a time where they actually tried to rebuild some of Babylon, and they failed with it. There's been some UN desires to rebuild Babylon, I believe, and I hold to a literal interpretation of future prophecy, ecclesiology is what we call it, that Babylon will actually at some point be rebuilt. And this is something that we've seen even regarding the rebuilding of Zion. And so you have these two cities inside of uh, eschatological, prophetic 
um, writings that speak of Zion being Jerusalem and Babylon. And they almost juxtapositioned against one another, even in future prophecies. And so there's a number of these, even as we look at um, the scriptures of Babylon, even in Revelation, there's a number of passages that speak of Babylon. It, it talks like this in, in Revelation 14:18, where it says, And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And so you've got Babylon there, even spoken of in Revelation. So there's this foretaste in Isaiah of what will happen to Babylon in, in what I believe to be the interim period of between when Babylon was conquered and destroyed and you have the Medes and the Persians that actually come up over the Babylonian Empire. And then after the Medes and the Persians, you had the Greeks with Alexander the Great. And from the Greeks, you had the Roman Empire. And so you have all of those prophecies that Daniel had even been speaking about earlier on of the nations of the world. But there's a future Babylon that will come about, and it will come about over time. But at this present moment, Babylon is in the state of what we see in Isaiah 47 verse 1 to 4. But then you see even in Revelation 16:19, the great city was split into three parts and the city of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of the wrath of God. And so you find Babylon again being destroyed even in the future sense by God. And then verse uh, 5 of Revelation 17, where it says, And on her forward was written the name of the mystery, of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And so you have Babylon falling again, even in the future tense. And so that's part of what we've seen even in Isaiah 47. It's seen this interim period of what Babylon will be like. And even today, if you go and look at some of the news of last week, you can see exactly this in a very real way. You can go and see the videos on YouTube even of what Babylon's current condition is and what is happening even with the women that are inside of Babylon that are actually thrown into the dirt. In a way, a very real picture of what we've seen in Isaiah 47, where Babylon now, or let's say Afghanistan even now, is in a terrible state. And yet there will be a time when Babylon will be rebuilt as far as we can see from biblical um, prophecy and there'll be a time where all of the nations of the world will come to her almost as a, a city of the rest of the world and then it will also be finally destroyed and and um, God will raise up Zion, his, his heavenly Jerusalem. So that's some of Isaiah 47. Right, absolutely amazing. Prophecy and fulfillment still to come and uh, that one of the ways that we can check out scriptures, one of the ways that we know that the Bible, God's word is not just just uh, another religion, but you can check world history against the prophecies and the fulfillment of uh, these prophecies that God's word is true to the letter and that you can go and check it, test it out and make sure for yourself. Lynette, baie dankie dan ook vir die vraag wat jy vir ons ingesteer het. Just a reminder, if you want to send in your question to scriptural, skriftierlik, die nummer 082 Six five seven two seven Do not uh, despair. We will be giving the number throughout the program, and uh, you can jot it down, sh- save it under your contacts, uh, write it down, put it somewhere in your Bible. And uh, this is the program where you ask your difficult uh, questions. Rocky, I think you'll agree with me. The next listener will keep uh, anonymous. 
and just a reminder, sideline remark, you're welcome to send in your questions anonymously. If you want to ask a difficult question, but you're uh, scared that somebody might recognize you, or you're welcome to send it in anonymously, and uh, we'll treat it anonymous as well. So, that being said and done, this is what we'll do for the next question. Ek gaan om eerst in Afrikaans lees, Rocky, dit sê, Morgen Weinand, Rocky, ek wil net weet of dit in orde is vir pastore, om een eredienst, wat net twee ere so anhou uit te rek, na drie en vier ere, met grappies, met vermaak en met rondspring, recht dier die bybel, tot by een punt, waar mens nou nie eens meer mooi weet, waar die boodschap rechtig gegaan het die. So, that the Afrikaans uh, question that the person has posted, uh, does it make sense, is it in order for a pastor in a service, uh, that's supposed to be two hours long to stretch it to three and four hours, filling in the gaps with jokes, uh, entertainment, jumping up and down and stretching uh, God's word, then in the Old Testament, then in the New Testament, even to the point that you're no longer sure what the message is all about. I think that's a more free translation. You'd be able yes. to help me with that, the Rocky? Yeah, firstly, I would say that it's lamentable to even... A read that this is happening in our day yeah. There's a sadness even to my own heart that this is happening and there's many deceivers in our day that really do do exactly this it's all about the smoke machine and the skinny jean oh. and it's not about the seriousness of the gospel and that is lamentable we we have many men that are making an absolute joke of the high calling of the ministry of christ and so in, in answering this, there's a number of passages that we could turn to. One comes to mind of Second Timothy 2 verse 15, which says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Now that is written to Timothy, who was the pastor at Ephesus at this yeah. time. And Paul encourages him towards doing just that. That would be the encouragement of Scripture towards any pastor, toward any elder. You need to be somebody who does your best, who plans well, who preps well, who seeks to divide the word of God in such a way that he doesn't need to be ashamed. Uh, a, a question like this one that has come through, um, you know, that, that's a kind of a pastor that actually should be ashamed. Yeah. That they're jumping around, they just t- telling jokes the whole time. They're not looking at God's word. You know, you could you could go onto YouTube and watch a comedian if you wish. Yeah, God has not made His church to be a place like like that. Rocky, I want to ask you a question. Here. I once got up in a service, went to the front. It was in the uh, Toronto during the Toronto. Uh, Let's call it a season way back when. And I said to the pastor, "Can you kindly point uh, point out to me?" In Scripture, the things that you're talking about, the remark that he made, and I'll still remember to this day, it says, my job is to keep those swinging from the chandeliers, not those kicking those who's clinging to the carpets. And he laughed. And I went to him and I said, where does it say that in Scripture, that it's your job? And, and he said to me, well, you, you know what, you're way too serious for what's happening here. But then again, service is a serious business, isn't it? It's to the glory of God. There's no time for playing around, isn't it? No, indeed. Uh, that the, the best thing you could do 
with that type of a narcissist is just leave him. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but let's let's have a look at some of the other passages that even come to mind regarding this. First Timothy three, verse one to seven, which talks about the qualification of elders and overseers. It says this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. This is a noble task. It's not a comedian fool job. It's a noble task. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober minded, self controlled respectable, honorable, able to teach. It would seem that the listener that has sent this question in, this is an individual that she's speaking of that is not able to teach, who does not seem respectable, does not seem self-controlled, does not seem sober-minded. He continues, Paul says, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, um, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of of outsiders. In this kind of a context, it seems that this individual is not even well thought of by insiders, let alone outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Another passage that comes to mind is Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 8, which speaks about us being imitators of God as beloved children. How does God talk to us? How does God behave towards us? Is everything a joke? Is everything entertainment? Is everything just not serious? Is there no order with God? Of course not. So let's take it to grassroot level. Somebody said there where the grass turns into a goat. As a congregant of a church such as this, how am I to treat it? Do I just get up and leave, uh, find another church, or do I address it? Do I go the Matthew 18 route and say, I'm I'm coming to you, my brother. I, I don't necessarily agree. Won't I be seen as quarrelsome if I go to the pastor and say, listen, what's happening here is, is not scriptural. That, that, that is, I think each situation will have its own context. There may be, if there is a plurality of elders within that congregation, one right. could have a meeting with those elders and have a sit down and actually go to the scriptures and bring a couple of scriptures to bear and say, this is what I see in the Bible. But please, can you explain to me what I'm seeing on a Sunday morning? Yeah. Is what I'm seeing on a Sunday morning what we actually see within the scriptures? And um, are, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong. You can go with a humble attitude. You can make sure that your own heart, that you're not sinning against God. But it may be that actually this church itself is a false church. Yeah. And you've got to be open to that as well. And then you could even look at a passage like Ephesians 5 verse 1 to 8 where it says, um, even in verse um, eight, it talks about how there's some that were in in darkness, but the light of the world has come. And then just before this, it says in verse six, "Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience." And then it even talks about not having anything to do with certain individuals that behave this way. But the Bible speaks very clearly regarding what elders look like in a passage like. Yeah. Like First Timothy, looking at um, at the elder and the qualifications of the elder, Titus chapter one does that, and that would be a good passage to turn to as well. And we'll do that maybe in a moment. But First Peter five, verse one to four, speaks about the elders as one. It says, "So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory of that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you." 
exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. If you're looking at your past and you're not seeing something of what Christ was like in his shepherding work, then that's something to be worried about. And then Titus 1 verse 7 to 9, I think, is a very clear passage regarding this. It says, for an overseer as God's steward. See, he's managing God's household there. When he's up there in the front, there's a, he's a, there's a stewardship that God has given him. He's just a manager. He's not the owner. God is the manager of his church. And it says this, must be above reproach. He must, be, he must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. It does seem that this individual that's spoken of by our listener is not somebody that holds firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He must look at how did the apostles teach God's word? How did Jesus teach God's word? How did other preachers within the scriptures teach God's word? He ought to be teaching God's word that way, not just making jokes and flips around and, I don't know, tries to make, make a fool of himself to get the glory of men. And then it says this, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Part of a pastor's job is to give sound instruction in God's word and sound doctrine. You should be able to follow what the pastor is saying. You should be able to go, here's a train of thought. Yeah. Here's, what, what, here's what this passage talks about. This is what it says about what this passage talks about. This is how we ought to apply God's word into our life. And that pastor ought to be somebody who actually is able to rebuke yeah. somebody that might come and do what he's busy doing in that uh, context. Um, so that's, that's what I would give to, to them. And I think further than that, it may be time for this individual to actually look for a biblically sound church. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you'd, if you'd wish, dear listener, you can send me an email at pastor at and I could help point you yeah. towards a good biblically sound church where there's not a, um, a joker inside of the pulpit, but yeah. somebody that is actually preaching God's word. And then you should go and submit yourself to biblically sound elders in that way. It may be that it's a false church. Maybe it is a false brother that is at that or a false uh, shepherd, let's yeah. say, a wolf in sheep's clothing that yeah. is there. You will know them by their fruit. Matthew 7 says, you know, do figs come from thorn bushes or thorns come from fig bushes? No, you know them by their fruit. What yeah. is the fruit of that man's life? And it would be then good for you to actually get into a place where we don't go home and and not be part of church at all even yeah. a even a bad church is better than no no church, no church but, at all. but go and go and be part of a good church there's enough of them in our country by god's grace he has given us many good expositors of god's word where you should go and have somebody that rightly divides the word of truth we cannot we cannot say that enough rocky isn't it because i've spoken to somebody just last week who said to me no we have church in our inner room in the bedroom my wife and i because there's no more uh, churches out there that preach the undiluted word of God, and that's not entirely true. Not true uh, at all. Uh, and yeah. and that we are to be discerners. Are we allowed? I mean, we quote the scripture Acts seventeen eleven many times on this program. Am I allowed to sit in your church, any church, be a discerner of the word, and of say, course. "Yes, I agree. Yeah. Yes, I agree with what the pastor say." Yes, the word. Yes, yeah. I can back it up with the word. And anyone that is actually a biblically sound pastor will want that. They'll, they'll want their members to actually sit and study the Word of God. 
Yeah. A, and that's why I introduced myself a while ago to you as somebody that's just a bell ringer at Benoni. Yeah. I just call on people to come and worship the Lord. Yeah. And those that come to worship the Lord join me as somebody who's worshiping the Lord. Yeah. And we worship the Lord by doing it his way, by following his word. And so we all submit ourselves to God's word. So if somebody comes forward and says, hey, pastor, but you actually, you misquoted this passage or you didn't uh, yeah. touch on this. Praise God for that. We, yeah. we want that. We want to be um, submitting ourselves under yeah. God's word. Yeah. And even for myself as a pastor, I submit myself to my fellow elder. Yeah. Um, you had him on one of your shows recently, uh, oh, I yes. believe. All right. um, and uh, what a blessing it is to have a fellow brother that's able to say, hey, let's go this way or that way. And there's, there's a submission, there's an authority, there's a right type of a standing. But then another passage came to mind even while you were speaking, and that is Second uh, Timothy 4, verse, verse 3 to 5, which says this about some of the end days and some of the deceit that comes in our time. And it says this, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. One of the very reasons that there's people like this that exist, that are just jokers in the pulpit and really clowns, and not, not really pastors, is because people want that. People don't want, want to, to be endure. entertained. They want to be entertained. Yeah. They, they don't want to endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Yeah. We, we, it is easy to look and say, oh, but there's that pastor who does that. But it actually reveals a deeper and broader problem is that there are people that actually keep that guy there. Yeah. There's people yeah. that actually pay for that. There's yeah. people that instead of going to the Comedy Central show where there's a comedian with crass wording, they want to go to the church and hear a Comedy Central show with just less swearing yeah. and be yeah. entertained. Oh. And so there's a problem at the heart core of, of, of people in our day that are lovers of self, not lovers of God. For fear of, you know, leaving the church as well. Uh, and, and because if we do address sin, if we do address the issues, modern day issues that we, that we face, uh, there are also churches uh, that, that fear that congregants will, will pull their roots and leave and go to other churches. Indeed. Uh, and, and take their money with them, isn't it? Indeed. And many Which times, is the bottom line. Many times these guys are actually doing this as a business. They're yeah. not doing this as God's business. They're yeah. not seeing themselves wow. as stewards of God's people. Right. And um, Timothy, uh, in this passage, Second Timothy 4, it continues and it says this from verse 4. And, and about these people who have these passions and they get these teachers that serve these passions. It says this, and will turn away from listening to the truth yeah. and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Right. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist. Fulfill right. your ministry. There yeah. we can see something of what the true pastor looks like. Yeah. The true pastor is somebody that is sober-minded. They don't get distracted by what, let's say, the masses are wanting. They remain yeah. on the narrow path. They will speak the truth no matter what the consequences. They will trust God and be obedient and then let the rest fall into the hands of the Lord. Yeah. And it says endure suffering. Well, why would there be suffering for the true minister of God? Well, because Jesus told us that that would happen. If yes. we follow him, the world will hate us. They won't love us. We won't have crowds of people saying, oh, please tell me the truth. People don't like to hear the truth often because no. they love the darkness instead yes. of the light. And if anybody wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. And then it says, do the work of the evangelist. You've got to be sharing this gospel. You, you do that often within a sermon context because you're sharing the gospel. But you're going about doing the work of an evangelist and you fulfill the ministry. 
Right, baie dankie ook vir die uitlegging daarvoor en baie dankie ook aan Anoniem wat die vraag vir ons ingestuur het. As jy een vraag het wat jy wil instuur, ons is bezig met die program skriftierlik, dan kan jy dit van stuur 082-657-2729 Dis die WhatsApp nummer in die atelier, baie welkom om jou vraagie in te stuur en as jy om anoniem wil instuur, dan baie welkom. Die volgende luisteraar het toe van hierdie aanbod gebruik gemaakt en ook een anonieme vraag ingestuur en ek wil net gauw met Rocky seker maak, Rocky, dit is die ene waarvoor ons gaan, hy sê thumbs up, let's go for it my brother, en die luisteraar vraag toe, verduidelik asjeblief die skriftierlikheid van kerke waar mense val in die gees in lachbuie uitbaars is dit skriftierlik correct bestaan daar so iets. So, if we have to translate it freely, people given over to fits of laughter, Rocky, there is a sense that uh, nowadays it's called, you know, the the falling of the Holy Spirit. Let's call the Spirit to fall on us and then it's given into fits of laughter. People fall over either to the back, to the front, and this person asks a simple question anonymously, is this scriptural? Do we find it? Rocky, can I add to that? The so-called altar call as well that we see nowadays. Do we find that in God's word as well? Peter, on the day of the the Pentecost, the outpour of the Pentecost, uh, could we attribute that to an altar call? Is an altar call scriptural as well? What what does the word of God say? How do you understand it? Yeah, um, we... I'll try and deal with those as two separate questions because, and then try and mash it together in a way. But the, the, the simple answer to this question is no, that's not biblical. We don't right. ever see in the scriptures somebody falling over slain by the Spirit. That's we, the word, slain by the Spirit. We never see that in right. any of the scriptures. In fact, what we do see of that happening is often in Eastern mysticism. Yeah. We have that in that type of a spiritualism, that what is called the Kundalini spirit. Um, right. But we don't see this in the scriptures. What we do see, however, is times where people fell on their face before the Lord. For John, example, in the book of Revelation. Yes, John falls on his face as if he's dead, yes. but he's still in himself. It's not like he's he's given up his mind and he's no he's, he becomes mindless. The, the 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 Christian religion is a mindful religion. We are to have we are to serve the Lord with body, soul and mind. We have a mind that is there and God expects us to be orderly, not to be disorderly and there to be actually a good testimony be even to outsiders of the kind of love that we have for one another. So we never see that in any of the Bible. We do find somebody like you know, um, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 also falling on his face before God and he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips and touch my lips and then you can send me if you wish. You've got uh, others like the leper that comes before Jesus in Luke chapter 5 verse 12 where the leper comes and he falls down at the feet of Jesus and he worships the Lord and we've got a number of those kind of a passages like Luke seventeen sixteen where he fell on his face before Jesus' feet. But this is always in an act of worship and reverence of Jesus. And it doesn't make much of the preacher. It doesn't make much of the individual. It doesn't make much of this whole um, kind of this ecstatic... Um, adventure and this kind of laughing out loud kind of crazy people on their foreheads making them fall over and all that we we need to see this for what it is it's demonic it's not christian 
It's, it's actually a distraction. And what it does is it keeps people away from opening up the scriptures. This is what Satan's ploy has always been. It has always been an attack on the scriptures, and it has always been an attack on the word of God. The pinnacle point of the worship service the, the New Testament church worship service is the opening of God's word, where the people of God in reverent worship fall before the Lord, as it were, to listen to what God has to say. And they yeah. go, this is what God said, and therefore I will do it. Yeah. We are his creatures. He is the creator. What often happens in these type of a settings is it turns it around and it says it makes much of the creature instead of much of the creator. Yeah. And these people go about in fits of craziness actually. And you look at this stuff and it actually gives such a bad testimony to Christ. And demons are able to do that. They're able to deceive to the utmost. Satan wants to deceive people and to get people into um, a whole lot of debates and a whole lot of arguments over words and a whole lot of distraction and never actually being holy before the Lord. And and that's the problem. So then on to the next one with the altar call. Now that would be a bit of a mix-up because um, the altar call really came about at a time, I believe it was the 1600s, 1700s, uh, where there was the Scottish revival and there was open air preaching. And this is much of like uh, much of our history that we do things sometimes with a good motive, but then it ends up kind of bad. Right. And um, what happened is you can go and read about the Scottish revival. It's a wonderful history or point of history. It's quite fascinating because the, they actually had to build warehouses for all of the tools that these Scottish miners that were bringing, they were bringing them back that they'd stolen. They had so, the miners had to build all of these warehouses for all of the stolen tools. And they couldn't even get their donkeys to do work anymore because they weren't using foul language any longer. And so the whole economy of Scotland actually changed drastically at this time. But what would happen is that, uh, that, that these miners would be called upon to actually come forward and be and be saved and so it was an act of boldness for these gruff individuals that were foul talking to come forward and say okay well i'm going to come and serve the lord but here's where it becomes mixed up i guess and this is where something of covenantal theology has come in and said well there was an altar in the old testament so we must have an altar in the new testament and this even mixed into roman catholicism where you would have an altar and you would have the altar and then you would take part in um, the sacraments and that you would look at and they would have a doctrine called transubstantiation where the where the body of christ would become the body like the the real body of jesus and the the, the cup would become the real blood of Jesus and, right. and they would mix up this idea and that's why you have Roman Catholic priests um, right. inside of that movement and we have the, the, the New Testament church uh, morphed into some of that and Christianity had some of this mixed thinking regarding traditions of men, traditions of men traditions where of they men. had the Old Testament kind of ideas of yeah. the priesthood and forgot that in the New Testament we were a priesthood of every believer, as right. Peter even teaches us. And so then this altar call comes about. Right. Okay, well, you must come to the altar. You yeah. must bring yourself to the altar. Right. And so there was a confusion regarding this. And I think part of the problem was this, with this was that there was this emotional uh, emotionalism where somebody made this decision based upon how they felt at that moment and so they jump up, come to the altar, and then they think, okay, well, now I'm, now I'm saved. Now I can just go do what I want to do. Yeah. Once saved, always saved. And yeah. so now I can just go and live like the devil because I came to the altar once. And, and this becomes really a false worship. 
in, in many respects. And so I think there is a danger to that. The Lord, in his mercy at times, has, has really saved people that have yeah. made a commitment and they come forward. Very and, much so. You know, yeah. and the Lord in his mercy has done that. Yeah. And that's his prerogative. Just like there, there can be somebody that has been in one of these crazy places where there's absolute disorder and everybody's laughing their heads off going yeah. crazy and somebody truly may be saved there yes. and that's that's god's mercy to do that yeah. but that's not the norm that we see within the scriptures and All even right. the book of first corinthians so i'd encourage our listeners to go listen go watch or rather go listen right and then go read your bible regarding first corinthians from verse from chapter 12 through to chapter 14 you can see the way that the gifts were to be the order that was there to be inside of the church and even the apostle paul has to put the corinthian church into its place regarding biblical order not everybody talking at once um if there's a prophecy how it should work out if there's a tongue how it should work out and we see proper order that was given but as the close of the canon happens in revelation and we find the last of the scripture given we see much of a ceasing of so many of those um, legitimate spirit-led gifts but much of what we've seen today under this like slain in the spirit this laughing in the spirit we don't ever see that within the new testament and the way that the guys get around this is they say no but there's a new move of the spirit of god there's this new, uh, you know, you must have this farce brood. You mustn't yeah. have this old bread. of the. Right. But the Bible has never been old bread. It's living and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's absolutely relevant for us today, just mm. as much as what Cutting it was. Cutting under bone and marrow. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And if we throw out the standard of God's word, and here's what the tricky aspect of the devil is. If he can get you to think, oh, but there's some new wind. They, mm. they even call it a new wind of the yeah. Spirit of God. If there's this new thing that God is doing, well, then I don't need the Bible anymore. Yeah. And then Satan is one in his desire, which is to get you away from God's truth. Yeah. Because in God's truth, Christ is highlighted. Yeah. And if you don't have Christ, then you're not saved. Then you're heading to an eternity in hell, but you may think that you're actually heading to heaven because you've had some ecstatic experience. And then you're one of those that will stand before him like Matthew 7 and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We spoke in tongues in your name. We were slain in the spirit in your name. And he says, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness, because you ignored my word. You know, and that's the, I think that's what Satan would have of many that are professing Christians, to have this fake experience yeah. and have a fake Christianity because they have a fake Jesus and because they no longer love God's word. And and this is where we need to be switched on and realize that actually whenever man has gone his own way, it leads to destruction. Let's go back to the scriptures. Let's go back to what God says. Let's be good Bereans, even as this uh, program is built on that concept. Yeah. Let's yeah. go and see what does God say about this and, and what does he say about the confusion. Now, now, here's another maybe side note. You go and look at the judgment of God that happened at Genesis chapter 11 when he confused them. And they were confused in their language, etc. I think that one of the things that we see in our day under the professing evangelicalism that we see that's so confused in our day is a judgment of God upon some individuals where they go into an environment like that and they think that that is biblical and they think that that is godly. Meanwhile, it is the doctrines of demons. And that is very much a judgment of God. It is not the peace of God that rests there. It's actually the judgment of God. And for people like this, we ought to pray and ask God, please, would you open their eyes? Would you open their eyes to see the folly of what they are doing and the need that they have of Christ to bring them stability? For Christ is the rock that we build on. And there again, you know, Jesus said, if you hear my words and you do them, you're like a wise man who built his house on a rock. 
The people that ignore the words of Christ and ignore the teaching of the scripture are like men that build their house on the sand. And when the storm comes and when the difficulty comes, that house is destroyed. It falls over flat. And this is what we see with so many individuals inside of those kind of movements is that when time gets, when the tacky hits the tar, when things get hard, when their life falls apart in many respects, they have nothing to stand upon because they've built their house on the sand instead of on the rock. And so I would encourage our listeners, you know, go to the scriptures, see for yourself what we see as far as biblical order, even even there. Thank you so much, uh, Rocky, for answering that uh, question for us. If you've got a uh, question, 0826572729. Welcome to send that through to us. Uh, Ikaza says, we have to take a music break as well. We want to adhere to the authorities over us as well. And, uh, well, we've got something beautiful on the turntable for you. It's a Mark J. Skulls. It's a song called Mystery. The mystery of God's Word, and then again... Uh, the beauty of God's Word, the purity of God's Word. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for all the WhatsApps streaming in. Do stay tuned. We're here till around uh, about 5 to 12. And uh, first, Mark J. Skull's Mystery. Yeah, how high is your love for me? Hoe diep, hoe weit, hoe ver is liefde vir my? Immeasurable. Jesus Christ, the love of God shown to this world, given to us so that you and I can have life and life in abundance. John 10.10, you won't uh, forget that scripture ever again, rings like a bell. John ting ting, hey, go and study it. Uh, Put it on your heart. The devil comes to rob, steal, maim, destroy, murder. But I have come so that you can have life and life in abundance. Thank you so much for the questions. We've literally got uh, five minutes left. Uh, we've got a question with regards to Acts 2 and verse 4. Ria van Toner wat hierdie ene ingesteer het, Rocky, en sy sê, hulle is allemaal vervul met die heilige geest en begin spreek in ander tale, soos die geest aan hulle gegeet om uit te spreek. Handelinge 2.8 Toe hoor ons hulle elkeen on, in ons eie taal waarin ons gebore is. En dan in vers 4, is dit nie die preke in goddelike tale nie? Vers 8 sê die taal waarin ons gebore is. Can you please elaborate? Can you please explain? What do we say to Ria with regards to this question? Thanks Ria for the, on, for the question. And um, I think you do already have a hint at what the answer is because of the context that you have in that passage. There is a lot of confusion regarding this, not because the Bible is confusing, but many have brought confusion in. And what you see in Acts chapter 2 is not something that is prescriptive, in other words, told that every church should do this. It is descriptive in that it speaks about a once-off event where the Spirit of God came. Jesus had promised the Spirit that he told his disciples to go back to Jerusalem. This was 10 days after the ascension of Jesus on high, and he had said that he would send his promised Holy Spirit. And this records for us the event of the Holy Spirit's coming. And it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the beginning of the New Testament church in Acts chapter 2. It's the new age of the church. And then it says, and now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. So all these people from all around who had come to enjoy Pentecost had come together to listen to this multitude. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing him speak in his own language. So there it gives you the answer is that these were languages that were actually known. This was not just a babbling or just some what people will say is a heavenly thing. Actually, when Paul touches on that in 1 Corinthians 12, he actually insults the fact that people are saying this in many respects. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these speaking Galileans? You know, this was a group of people that were fishermen, these guys that were with Jesus. Now they're speaking in in our own language. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? So twice there it said it's in his own language, in his own language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. So the scriptures right there say that they were hearing their own, they were hearing the gospel in these languages. And the scriptures even in Acts chapter 2 tells us the kind of languages that were being taught or were being spoken of. And then in verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling it in our own tongue, the mighty works of God. So we know what they were speaking. It was languages that were able to be heard and understood by these people that were, that were in Jerusalem and what they were actually declaring in those languages. They were telling the mighty works of God. Mm. That's what they were busy preaching. So the miracle here would be the, 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 the apostles themselves speaking what sounds like a foreign lang- language, but then again, those people there present could understand. They recognize it. Oh, that's my mother tongue. And there was a content to this. Yeah. The content of this tongue was telling the mighty works of God. Yes. And then you see the response of the people from verse 12 and 13. It says, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? You see, so there was a first skriftirlik there, and they sent in their question, what does this mean? (laughs) And, uh, you know, what does this actually mean? But others mocked, saying they filled with a new wine. And this is where Peter gets up right after this, and he has a mighty sermon where he preaches to these people and tells them the gospel. And that day, you remember how many people were added to their number? 3,000 souls. Why? Because there were these people talking in their own native tongue, All of these people would have likely known Greek at that time. The New Testament was written in Greek. Even our Lord Jesus quotes the Septuagint as he uh, speaks in his own ministry regarding the Greek. And so they would have all had that common tongue as far as a business and etc. tongue. But yeah, they hear it in their own home language, the mighty works of God. Peter preaches, 3,000 souls are added to the church. So this is a once-off event. This is not something that was prescribed for the churches around South Africa to be doing. This is something that happened at Acts chapter 2, and we're building on that same foundation even today. We continue to declare the mighty works of God. That's what we do. Um, and people are saved today still because Jesus still builds his church. Thank you so much. Pastor Rocky, time has caught up with us. Uh, you've made the offer during the program. If somebody wants to be in touch with you with difficult uh, questions, needs answering, uh, where can they get hold of your email address, please? Pastor at um, at za. I just saw a question from Johan. You can actually get the podcasts Right after this. Look right yeah. after this. You can find it online. Even if you've got Apple Music, you could look at it there. I think it's on Spotify as well because I saw it the other day yeah. with one of the members in the church. So you can find 
the podcasts and um, that for for the shows. Yeah, he just needs to give me time so I can go and podcast it quickly. Uh, once again, it's good to listen to Pastor Rocky. It's good to listen to Radio Pulpit. It's good to listen to Skriftilik. Now, the responsibility lies with you to go and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Pastor Rocky, have a uh, safe journey back. Regards to your congregation, to the family, and thank you so much for uh, your labor of love, which you bring every Tuesday to the microphone and the truth of God's word. Thank you so much for that. All that's uh, left to say is keep well. God bless you. Look after yourself. Search the scriptures on a daily basis to see if these things are so. Until next time, keep well. God bless. Shalom.